Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to review and discuss season one of The Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Um, yeah, we were not initially going to discuss this show because, admittedly, the first time that we watched it, when it dropped on Disney+, Plus. Um, if you've been following us for a while, you know that we were not tremendous fans of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. No, and you certainly didn't want to give it a second chance in a rewatch. But what we realized is that we started just amongst ourselves talking so much about why we didn't like it. And a lot of that is because of what they did with Gordon's character and that you took three movies worth of building this character up and you left him in such a good place and what a fall from grace it was. And really, they almost reset him to where we first meet him in The Mighty Ducks, the first one. Um, so because we were talking about it so much and we realized like that's what we were bumping on, uh, we decided to give it another chance, not even in preparation for season two. We just kind of wanted to compare some more for ourselves. Yes, because I had said I won't do season two. I've said it the whole time. My stance on that might have changed only because now I just have Mighty Ducks on my mind. But I want to hold that until the end of this discussion to determine whether or not it's even worth doing. So in the past, when we've done these recap shows, if you guys have been with us for a while, you know that we do like an episode by episode breakdown which we're not going to do this time. We're going to try to just kind of expedite it and, and talk about the series as a whole as a, as opposed to doing, you know, it episodically one by one by one. Right, because this wasn't really supposed to be a refresher. Uh, yeah. It, it's more just about the character and a character that we love a lot. Right. So let's just go through the cast. You have Emilio Estevez playing Gordon Bombay. You have Lauren Graham as Alex Morrow. Both of them have executive producer credit, by the way. We have Brady Noon as Evan Morrow, Maxwell Simpkins as Nick, uh, Swayam Batia as Sophie, Julie Serda as Stephanie, Luke Islam as Koob, Bella Higginbotham as Lauren, Tegan Burns as as uh, Maya and Kiefer Orion as Logan, and we also have no. This is the rest. These are all season two. I see what they did. They just put everybody together on this list. Okay, so that basically covers everybody. And as we discuss all of this, obviously we're going to get into more in depth conversations about some of these characters and whether or not we feel like they're fully fleshed out. Whether we feel like they truly are like a part of. What is all around, like, the Mighty Ducks, <clears throat> excuse me, have sort of like, I don't want to call it an attitude. There's a feel to these characters, especially in the first film. And I want to see if the ragtag bunch, if they are as endearing as they are here as they are when we meet them when they're, when they're in District 5 30 years ago. Well, I think that was one of the first things that I started to bump on because, you know, they open... 
the the series with a lot of familiarity. You have the Mighty Ducks Arena, which is sponsored by Hendrix. And I was like, okay, I get it. Um, you know, and we are starting with a focus on the Ducks team, but these are clearly not the Ducks that we've come to know and love because they all they're they're like the new Hawks, basically. Yeah. yeah. In the first one. Yes, and they're coached uh, by Dylan Playfair, Coach T. I forgot to mention him before. Uh, who we love, by the way. Um, he was a scene stealer in Descendants. That was when we first took notice of him because he just stood out in that cast. Uh, and we just recently started watching. Well, we're blowing through it. We've started watching Letterkenny, uh, and he's absolutely hilarious. He's really one to watch because all of those three roles are so different from each other. And he nails every single one. He's he's going to be a huge actor. I think that you're right. But yeah, so let's talk about that, right? The Ducks are the new Hawks. Um, I like the new logo that they came up with. I like that the jersey colors are a throwback to what the original Mighty Ducks of Anaheim jerseys were. I like Because you the- need to have that marketing in there somewhere. Well, you Even think though so. they don't own the team anymore. Yeah, but you know what, though? The biggest disappointment from that is... The logo gear was so cool, I never saw it go on sale anywhere. I thought for sure Disney was going to cash in on that. Now, maybe because critics liked the show, but the fans really didn't take to it quite as much. Perhaps that's why we didn't see any merchandise come from it. But I thought for sure hats, hoodies, jerseys, T-shirts, like this logo is going to be on everything. I don't recall it appearing anywhere. Especially since they did just release season two lined up with the 30th anniversary of the original Mighty Ducks. So I thought it was going to be like this huge reboot because I, you know, obviously people were kind of split down the middle with season one, but I thought they were really going to steer into it this time. Right. I love the fact that they play at the Hendrix Pavilion. Yes. So, you know, like from the jump, it seems like the callbacks are working. The little wink and a nod, the Easter eggs, all of that is working. But how do you feel about the Ducks being the new Hawks? Because I remember when they announced Mighty Ducks Game Changers was about the Ducks becoming the bad guys. I re- when we started discussing this a couple of years ago before the show dropped, I said, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, it was very much off-putting to see that these kids on the Ducks were playing with so much ego. Um, because clearly they thought who they were. But at the same time, I bought it because this is what Bombay's legacy should have been that all lined up for me because you know he was the the Minnesota miracle man he brought this team to victory so I'm glad that they didn't start in a place where the team had completely fallen apart again and everybody had turned their back on the ducks I like that there was a legacy that was recognized and what I actually did like too is that they really hit on a social commentary that has become very prevalent now about sports being fun versus being taken too seriously by both the players and their parents. Um, I think that's something that's always been there, but I think since the age of the participation trophy, it's more at the forefront of the discussion now is how much of this should be about fun and how much should be about winning and where is the line when you're taking it far too seriously. So I think they did a good job with all of that. 
I think that the social commentary is an interesting one. I think that there are instances where I think parents need to dial it back. You know, when you've got a five, six, seven-year-old kid who's learning to play the sport for the first time, you need to dial it back. That's when they're learning the sport. The sport should be fun. But at the end of the day, whether you want to admit it or not, as a kid, you want to win. You don't want to lose. No, it doesn't feel good. No. Okay, part of the fun comes with winning, okay? You may, may or may not want to admit that, but that's the God's honest truth. But I like that they channeled it through both Stephanie because she's like the psycho mom that takes the team's performance personally. She'll take the credit when they when they win. And I don't want to say she'll blame them when they lose because she they really don't lose. Um, but she's not even living vicariously through these kids. She's just making it about her and that is the character but you also channel it through somebody like Sophie who is putting as much pressure on herself as her parents are yeah and like in that respect you've got 13 and 14 year old kids the parents should not be putting college on their radar that I agree with however when you do get to that age this is now an elevated game that you're playing yes so it's a full check game. They tell you it's going to be a full check league. It's the first time that they're playing in a full check league. When it comes to physical preparedness, you do need to be in a certain sort of conditioning because now you're not just skating up and down the ice shooting pucks. Now you have to learn how to take a hit. You have to learn how to throw a hit. You know, that's been such a thing in hockey in the past 10, 15 years with the concussions and, and with the injuries is knowing how to throw a clean hit and how to take a clean hit. This is something that I have preached when I watch hockey games. Um, when when a player gets blown out, crossing over the blue line, skating with his head down. How many times have you heard me say that during a hockey game? And somebody gets a penalty because a hit looks bad because somebody got knocked unconscious or got hurt. It's as much on the skater that gets hit as it is on the defenseman or the forward that throws the hit. This is where the game, developmentally, where the game starts to take a turn. This is what separates the participation trophy from the competitiveness. So that's where I think you needed to strike the balance so like I understand the social commentary but I think that they actually made these kids too old to accomplish that commentary well historically with the original trilogy this is not something that they handled well as far as clean and dirty hits because you know Portman's getting thrown out of the game on a clean hit even Bombay's injury that took him out of the minors, it was a totally clean hit. But because those films wanted to over-dramatize it, um, th- that's one of those instances where actual hockey went out the window for the sake of the film. So I like that they're introducing it here, but I agree with you. For the kid's age, it's probably a little bit too late. Um what I also like that they've set up is that we we get a couple of more parallels. Um, 
that Alex is a paralegal. So that sort of parallels uh, Bombay's career as an attorney. And sure. what I didn't realize in the first episode, uh, she and Stephanie work for Ducksworth. I didn't notice that until later on when you see the signage uh, when she's starting to get more involved in the board meetings. Right. Um, but it is still Ducksworth. And I guess that is like, you know, the place to be if you're in the legal field. Yeah. In Minnesota. Sure. So now as you start to get Alex fleshed out, single mom, again, just like Casey, a little tropey. Because it, she never develops a romantic relationship with Bombay the way that Casey did. So is it a little tropey that we're going back to the single parent thing? Um, see, I hadn't even considered that because to me, Lauren Graham is always going to be Lorelai Gilmore. So to see her in a role where she is the single parent and she's doing her best and she's got a great relationship with her kid... Um, I was focusing more on like, is she being typecast? Is this a rehash? And my answer is no, because she just does it so darn good. I actually loved seeing her back in this role. And it's totally different. Like Rory was this studious kid versus now you're a hockey mom. Um, so taking my personal views out of it, um, tropey. I think it gets a pass here too, actually, because I feel like that was 90s tropey. Now they actually really did build the story around it. And and because she's a main character, it also feels very different. Casey was a secondary character. That's why it felt tropey because you never really fleshed her out. Whereas Alex is, she's not just serving plot here. Something that bothers me about Alex for the entirety of this series. How dare you, sir? Um, talking about tropes as well. And I do think that this is a trope of sports films. Yay, sports. Yay, sports. Alex is so disconnected from the game of hockey in general. Your son loves to play it. You spend all of this money to get him involved. You spend all of this time making sure that he's getting to the rink and going to his games. Yet every time she watches a game... It's like she's never seen one before. And it's, you know, when people take their pride, like, they, they people, there are people that are on a high horse that they don't watch sports. Right. And they're just like, yay, sports. Yay, team. Go win. You know, like. Sports ball. Ex exactly. There is a, I, there's a sports ball culture that thinks that they're better than other people. In this case. She's sports ball, and it makes no sense that she's sports ball. I will give you that, because for Evan to be playing at this level, he's obviously been doing this since he was, you know, in peewee hockey. So you can't tell me that you've gone to his games and cheered him on, and you haven't learned the rules yet. Right. I'm not saying everybody in the world, because people are going to, well, I don't, I don't watch sports. Calm down. I'm not saying everybody needs to watch sports. However, and I'm not saying that everybody that sports ball thinks that they're on a high horse, but there is that sect of society that is like, I'm not going to give in to sports. And like, 
Why? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you trying to prove? Yeah, you're not. Pr- I I'm not on a high horse because I don't go to the theater. You know, it's just like <laughs> you like what you like, you don't like what you don't like. But it doesn't make sense that she is so involved in his life as a single parent, and yet on like the most basic level, doesn't understand how the game is played. Right. That's my problem. No, it's it's the announcement, right? You you're not gonna sit here on a platform and be like, I've never been to the opera. No. I I get it. I get it. Um but other than that though, I do really love her in this role. She was a highlight for me in this series. And there's one point where she gets a coffee from the snack bar and I was like, Oh my god. Um anyway, uh so moving on with with some of the setup, and then we will move off of episode one. But we have to talk about the groundwork, right? Yeah. Uh, Bombay. Um, <sighs> there's a lot to unpack here. So, I mean, what I do like is the way that they met. Uh, Alex is always doing Stephanie's grunt work. Like, yes, she is a paralegal. She's not as high up the chain as Stephanie. Um. And Stephanie doesn't know the difference between treating her like a personal assistant versus actually letting her do her job. So she's doing grunt work. She's passing out flyers in um, what's supposed to be like the bad part of the neighborhood. Right. Uh, And she stumbles across the ice palace Um, because at this point they have decided that they're going to branch out with their own team and she needs a place for a practice. Right, because Evan at this point has been cut from the ducks. Right. Um we 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 should actually hit on that. What do you what do you think about that take? It's fine. You get to a point where when you start playing travel guess what folks? I played baseball for a good thirteen years and I never made a travel team because I wasn't good enough. And that was okay. Oh no, I I'm fine with what it does for character and you do have to set up that she is going to coach a new team. I'm just saying what do you think about the transition between like we're no longer the Ducks and now the Ducks they really are the Hawks because they are the enemy now. But they're the enemy because of what? They're the enemy because they took the best players and put the best team that they could on the ice. It's the attitude for me. I think that's where I struggled with this because I never want to root against the Ducks, but they are no longer this adorable underdog team that you want to root for. It's almost like they've sold out in a way. Something that we have been very critical of Bombay for doing in the second film. Um, So that's just kind of a hard pill to swallow when it's like, we get this reboot of something that we really loved, but now we're not even rooting for the Ducks. And it also unravels a lot of story that we spent a lot of time with in three films because this should be going. The districts were always broken up by location. Huge plot point in the first one. And now that is gone. I think this is what bothers me more than the transition of the Ducks as a whole. I can live with the fact that you're putting the best team on the ice. 
I don't like the fact that the Ducks are the bad guys. The Ducks shouldn't be the bad guys yes. because they're trying to put the best team together. They shouldn't be the bad guys because Coach T, if I remember correctly, later on in the series, I think they say that not only has he coached the Ducks, but I think they also make mention that he played for the Ducks. Yes. So, technically speaking, he is the cheerleader that wants to so badly carry the legacy of the Ducks the same way Charlie Conway wanted to do it, especially in the third film. So he's doing everything that I'm sure Charlie would have wanted to do in carrying the legacy and creating, you know, an aura about them because to Charlie, the Ducks were just so magical. That's not my problem. My problem is you undo the districts, you undo everything with Bombay, not just in his attitude, but you literally undo a great portion of his backstory. It's the lack of continuity from one thing to the next that has me bothered the most. And the cherry on the top of the Sunday is the fact that now the ducks are evil. Right. Yeah. Let's get back to Bombay because I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what would I have done di differently given the opportunity? And I have a bunch of solutions for all of that. Uh, but yes, you go from struggling with, okay, now the Ducks are the bad guys, to finding Bombay almost worse off than he was when we first meet him. And I was like, they have spent so much time building this character up. I don't believe that we would find him in this place, especially because he is a lawyer. He does have a career that he could have fallen back on I mean unless unless the Dewey just stayed with him and they weren't gonna let him practice anymore I don't know but it's just like how did we end up here and the first time we watched this I was like are you kidding me they're making him you know he's taking the leftover cake from a kid's birthday party and, and he's that low where he's just gonna eat it and you know just he's clearly let himself go and it wasn't until we started watching the first one where I went, oh, my God, he's a cake eater. And it's a callback. And I was like, all right, I can live with that a little bit more. But I can't live with the disarray that we find him in. I do like that they address that Jan wills this rink to him, uh, which totally tracks because Hans has passed. We saw it happen in the third one. So now we know that Jan is gone, too. Maybe Mother's still alive in the old country because clearly... She's she's been keeping well on Haas and Pfeffer. Yeah. Huh? Um, here's what I don't like. Why this rink? I mean, we know that Jan mysteriously has been there all through the first one, but we just never saw him. And then he pops up in the second one. And apparently he he, you know, works in the shop. Whatever. We gave it a pass. Why didn't you leave Gordon the shop? Why the ice rink? I mean, I know we need the ice rink because you're going to need a place for Evan's new team to practice. But I don't buy this for a second. What I would have bought, and this goes back to what you said about, um, you know, the coach being a player on the Ducks and wanting to uphold the legacy. I would buy it more if Gordon was working at the skate shop. He knows how to sharpen skates. We've seen him do it. Um, one of the other ducks, you could have got a cameo, could have got that cast back, 
had the arena and he's still in touch with them, but they are on the outs with Charlie, who is the coach of the Ducks. And because he makes a better coach than a player, right? So oh, we've been told. I would have even been okay if they couldn't get Joshua Jackson keeping that character. And as much as I love the actor that plays the Ducks coach, I would have sacrificed all of that if you kept the Charlie character. And now this is where the conflict becomes that Gordon's still in touch with these kids that meant so much to him. Cause I don't buy for a second that they fell out of touch. Um, and now you're creating natural conflict between these characters who have a history with each other. And that would have also addressed a huge issue that we had with the third film that you're not always going to be able to play together. If you're going to have a career in this sport, even if you're not on the ice, even if you're doing any of these other things, owning the skating shop, owning a rink, you're not always going to be able to keep it together. And it would have been nice to see that fallout instead of what we got. Right. I mean, look, you said it before. We now know what happened to Jan, but the fact that there was never... You'd think that if they owned the Ice Palace, you would have heard of or seen this rink at some point in the other three films. You would have seen it in the first one because they start playing on pond hockey because they don't have an arena. It just defies logic that you have such a large piece of property in the middle of the city that you just kind of forgot to mention. Gordon hating hockey again. And like, it gets fleshed out later, but it's like you just hit the Control-Alt-Delete and you restarted the computer back to what we saw in 1992. Right. And it's just frustrating. Like... You build Gordon up, and and Gordon goes through so much in the first two films, and he does in the third to a much lesser extent. But Gordon goes through much, uh, goes through so much, and you build that character so much, and it's like you just stripped him away because. Notice how, in D three, they did things because. It seems like we're just doing things in this series. Because. Yeah, I mean, I would have much preferred seeing Gordon work at the skate shop, but I also would have bought if he and Alex had met because he's still practicing law. Make him, you know, make them uh, opposing on opposing sides of a case. And that's how she meets him and then takes an interest because, oh, wait. You're, you're this legend because he is a local legend. I also don't buy that people don't know he's in town. I also don't buy and we'll talk about the fall from grace in a little while once we get deeper into the series. I also don't buy that he would be written off for the for the very minimal thing that he did. Like people are just like he doesn't carry the Ducks legacy the right way. Quack, go away. It's you know, like he's they the fact that he had a Dewey. And the community forgave him for that because he put such a nice team together. And yet, he, he's been ostracized because he gave a kid a roll of hockey tape for his stick. It, it, it's just, the whole thing is just so stupid. There's just no, there's no nice way of saying it. It's just stupid that he's ostracized for this. Not to mention, he's a lawyer. He should have been able to find that loophole. Right. But it, it is what it is. Um... 
they throw the team together super quick. It's basically Evan and then his neighbor, Nick, because you should go ask him to play hockey. Okay. And then here comes LaRue moving into the neighborhood with his hockey stick in his hand off the moving truck. Oh, hockey player, put the team together. And let's all just, we're going to stand in the cafeteria and say, who wants to play for our team? And more random people just join out. Like, this is such it's such a sloppy setup. It's like they didn't know how to put the team together, so they just made something up to get it done as quickly as possible. I agree with you that it's a little forced, but I do feel like they did a good job of, as these characters get established, giving them a reason to have wanted to join the team. And it, it feels weird in the moment because if you're in school, you're not going to do anything to make yourself stand out like that and, and join you know, the misfit hockey team. But each character really does have more of a reason for wanting to follow Evan and putting their faith in him. Uh, so I, I think that they eventually, it takes a little bit too long, but they'll get there. What bothers me more than anything is the don't bother. Yes, I'm so glad. You, I was going to bring this up. I'm so glad you brought this up. It's a better slogan than the team. The don't bothers, that's going to strike fear into the heart of your enemy. I am so glad that you brought this up because this was my next note. I understand that right. Alex wants to stick it to Coach T because when he cut Evan, he said, you're just not good enough. Find another, find another hobby because when it comes to hockey, don't bother. It is right. rough hearing somebody say that to a kid. There is a more tactful way of saying it, and I think when they have lines like that, it's because they're trying too hard to make the Ducks the bad guys. Even the other kids on the team, they were all Evan's friends until he got cut, and then they're bullies for bullies' sake. So they do, they try too hard to make the Ducks the bad guys. Like, they're over the top with the screenwriting when it comes to making the Ducks the bad guys. I understand that she wants to stick it to him but it's so cringeworthy when they show up at the team day and they're like, we're the don't bothers. Like if I were yeah. Evan, I would be like, mama, 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 no, 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 no. Like I yeah. like I'm having enough problems right now with my friends picking on me for getting cut. And now I'm going to be a don't bother. It's it's such a helicopter parent name. It's such a soapbox parent name to give a sports team. It's no, you're absolutely right. And because eventually, you know, they've got the hashtags where she coined the phrase of um, playing should be fun or whatever it is. You could have had the don't bothers hashtag. You could have had the team shirts for the parents. That all would have been really cute. But you need a name. I'm not even saying it has to be an animal. It, it just. You need a proper moniker. Yes. And it doesn't. It looks weird on a jersey. It, the whole thing is just terrible. I, like, I get the point, but that is a really egregious thing to do. We've been willing to suspend our belief for a bunch in these three films, but there are certain things, like, th this is a series about a hockey team. Like, you have to believe the team. And you just don't. Not with a name like that. Like, I don't believe, you know, like, wh where's the pushback from the organization being like, that's not a name, you know? It, as as silly as that would have been, I would have rather seen that play out where people are hung up on 
on this name if they were going to roll with it like that. Yeah, it's 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 just it's too on the nose. It's too corny. And again, I I believe that it's sloppy screenwriting because it's like feel feel bad for them. That team feel feel bad for them. You must feel bad for them that we don't bother. Feel bad for them. Right. It, it. What made you feel bad for the District Five Ducks is the fact that they were ragtag kids. They didn't have a coach that cared about them the first time. They didn't have a coach that cared for them halfway through the film. You know, uh, until he had his come to Jesus moment. You had single parents. You had kids that were from bad neighborhoods. You had kids that didn't have enough money for pads. That that was good screenwriting that made them a sympathetic bunch. This is a sympathetic bunch because don't bother. It's weak. It's very weak. That's actually a really good point, too, because the original Ducks team was so diverse as far as like where these kids are from. It seems like all of these kids here are very privileged. Even somebody like... Um, LaRue, who they they do eventually play out the story of his parents' divorce, but clearly his father has money because they move into this huge house. You see it when we first meet the character, and then he's got all the fancy hockey equipment that he quote-unquote never uses. And he does have that conversation with Nick down the line where my dad just buys me all this stuff, but I don't know what to do with it, or I, I don't have anyone to, to play with, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, you know, Coop, I, I love the character, but, you know, he's an introverted kid who's, who has a lot of screen time, but there's no real big obstacle standing in his way. Like nobody really has a financial issue here. They do start getting into that in the second episode because they don't have gear. And I I go back and forth on this about getting the gear from the lost and found like it kind of works, but at the same time, I I don't know. That's the thing I liked most about the second episode. Actually, was the fact that you're you're gonna be Bombay's basically Robin Hood at this point. You, yeah, you steal that's from the true. rich to give to the poor. He says that ducks lost and found. They lose stuff all the time, and they just buy new stuff. So just go and take it. I totally buy that. It's something that a ragtag group would do but i expect that they would do it in the first film you're right this fi- this this series there were a lot of people that sat there and they gave it accolades for how progressive it was it's so progressive no it's not the first film is progressive you have you have different financial backgrounds you have different genders different races that all came together they were all very different kids do you have that here you do but you're right most of them are well off whereas in the first film you had kind of like the social hierarchy and the financial hierarchy was all over the place and that was that was a bone of contention with adam right the little rich kid yeah you don't the cake eater there's no cake eater here exactly so like this this show, it, for people that say the show is so progressive, if you watch the first film, it's not as progressive as you think it is. Right. They did a good job of making it racially diverse, but not class. Yes. 
the and first that it's movie. a huge part of the story. Like that's that's the thing because even like you said, um, with Bombay wanting to steal from the rich and give to the poor, they're not poor. That hasn't been established. I I will now I now that we're talking through it, I can at least form a solid opinion. I do like that he's sticking it to the ducks. It's not necessarily about the money. It's just that they've got all this stuff sitting there and we're, we're going to take it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so now we have gear and we find out that Gordon Bombay is lying about everything when he says he hates hockey. This is now episode three. Yeah. And I feel feel like it was a little too late to find out what happened because we were sitting there on pins and needles going why is he a washed up has been I don't believe this for the character I mean you did need to spend some time focusing on developing the kids a little bit more I do like that by this point the chemistry is starting to develop between him and Alex a little bit so you're laying groundwork I get it but like for your audience I think you needed to drop this sooner. You did. And the whole fact that he hates hockey because he was fired from the NCAA. Now, we're no, we don't even make a mention at this point that he took over the hockey operations for the Junior Goodwill Games. He went from coaching in the Junior Goodwill Games to going to the NCAA. That right. huge career opportunity that prevented him from coaching the Ducks at Eden Hall, we're going to gloss over that. He was also 28 or 29 years old when he went pro in the second film, but in this show, he was 34 when he went pro. I am so glad that you bring that up because we spent a lot of time with Andy when he came on to review the second one with us, and he was the one who figured that out because the... The bigger issue was the law career being so established by 28 because most people are like getting out of school at that point and you're barely breaking into the field. Um, and they completely bent that to make him the hotshot lawyer. Um, I was wondering, though, if it was bad writing that messed up Gordon's timeline or if after... The third film, after we saw his shot at the minors or or the big time get taken away and, you know, he got injured in the minors. Then he had the successful career in the third film that's, you know, he's traveling and recruiting and all of that. Um, I thought based on this series that he tried to play again. So now, like, if you're talking about in terms of we have hard numbers written out for his age that he's 28 in the first film and 34 when he had his shot at the pros. I'm thinking that all of this happened in a six year gap because they also did establish in the second film that it was the next year and he was only in the minors for a year. It wasn't like he had a very long career. But we've already established that his career is over by the time he comes back at the start of the second film. So if he tried to come back and play again, it doesn't change the fact that the timeline makes no sense. Right. Because based on the timeline in this film, or in this series, he went from Team USA to NCAA to disgrace. No in-between where he goes back to play professional hockey again. Right, and that's why I made the point of saying, too, at the top of the episode that 
He has an executive producer credit. It, in terms of what that role is, that doesn't mean that Emilio Estevez just threw money at this project to get it off the ground. The reason that he and Lauren Graham got the executive producer credit, him more so than her, is because he knows his character so well. So being that you have inhabited this person for years of your life, how do you not know the timeline? Well, I think there's a reason why he didn't come back for a second season, that his contract was more or less terminated or not picked up, however you want to put it, over quote-unquote creative differences. I think he knew that this series was a dumpster fire, that they totally destroyed his character for the first three or four episodes of this series, and I think that there was just no turning back. Even, have you noticed that he seems very, very stiff? Like he doesn't know what to do with his body in these first couple of episodes? I don't know if it was that like he hasn't done anything in a while where he's uncomfortable in front of the camera or if that was an acting choice. But he just looks so uncomfortable. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that there are recruitment rules in place with the NCAA when it comes to, you know, buying a highly ranked recruit a Cadillac for their father or getting the parents an apartment in the city of the college that they're going to be playing in or handing them $20,000 to sign on with the team. Those are recruitment violations. I don't think that a $5 roll of stick tape constitutes as a violation of recruiting. The other thing is that when you are an NCAA student, you have an equipment team for things like that. These kids are not going to Dick's Sporting Goods to buy themselves stick tape to, to tape up a stick to go play an NCAA game. Right. They have that stuff readily available to them. They don't even buy their own pads at that point. They don't buy their own helmet. They don't even buy their own jock, okay? That's all provided to them. So the fact that Gordon bought a roll of tape and got fired for it and is now this disgraced coach that nobody wants anything to do with is a joke. And again, I think it's lazy screenwriting because they were trying so hard to continue to make him likable and they were trying so hard to make him so jaded towards the sport yes. that they got him fired over the most ridiculous thing, which in reality, he never would have been fired for to begin with. I said it before and I say it again. I'm willing to suspend reality to a point. This is just ridiculous. Agreed. I'll buy the fact that Gordon did something like this and they're trying to prove that his heart is always in the right place. And because that's always been his thing, he took a liking to Charlie. He was always, you know, he, he built that relationship with Charlie and even Fulton, he kind of had a special bond with um, because he wanted to take him onto the team, even though he couldn't skate, he would always look at the individual player. He would always help the kid, even porcelain banks, I should have seen this sooner. I'm not going to let you throw your career away because you're trying to play with an injury. 
So I'll totally buy that he wanted to give a kid a shot that wouldn't have had one. But you're right. It's not that big of a deal. And what I really don't buy is that because he's got the background in law, there wasn't a loophole that he found, especially when, you know, okay, we know he's the hotshot lawyer in the first one. Then he doesn't want anything to do with that. That's not me. I'm, I'm a coach now. And they bring it full circle in the third one where he uses his knowledge to help the kids. You wouldn't have done that to save yourself. And that would have also been a much better avenue to reintroduce this character where he figured out a way to merge his two worlds. If he couldn't play hockey, now he's a lawyer in the sports field trying to defend, you know, trying to help the good guys. There are coaches in college sports that should not be coaching right now that got jobs. And they did heinous things. Gordon Bombay is not going to be ostracized from literally everything. He's not going to be ostracized by the Ducks because he provided a kid with stick tape. We have to move on from this because otherwise I'm just going to sit here and, and say the same thing over and over again. Because it is the most ridiculous thing that they could have possibly done to get him fallen from his pedestal. No, and that's where like I just don't buy any of this and it would have been so much more effective if he had taken over Hans and Jan's shop and the fallout with the Ducks would have been because of Charlie. There are so many ways that you could have done this. Um but you're starting to see now that he is softening his stance because he really loves hockey. He writes the trick play in Alex's notebook for her. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then he tries to show Alex how to actually play the game because she's going to partake in mom's night. This whole thing is very produced as far as giving... Alex a little bit of gumption against Stephanie. Um, it's fun. I like that everybody is involved. What I really like is that we've started to incorporate all of the parents at this point, which is a huge point of contention that we've had, that there were no parents at the Junior junior Goodwill Games. Right. Um, but now we actually see parents in the stands, parents being involved with the kids. All of the Don't Bother's moms are going to... It's not just Alex's Slapshot Challenge. They're all going to do something. So I really like that we see the support from the parents and we see that they're they're very involved and they're willing to actually, you know, put on skates and do this for the kids. That's one of the few successes of this show is that that was, to your point, our problem with the franchise up to this point was other than... Jesse's father and Charlie's mom, you didn't see or hear from any of the other parents, even though Goldberg's parents love their son, the goalie, so much that they put his picture in a frame on the counter of the delicatessen that they own. Now the parents are getting involved. It makes a lot of sense. But what is so distracting for me, every time I watch Lauren Graham, she's holding her stick upside down in every shot. In every shot where she's not actually shooting the puck, like when she's just holding the stick, she's holding it upside down. They, and they never call her out on it. Like if that was a thing that like 
because she's so out of touch with hockey that Gordon has to, like, fix it for her and show her that she's holding the stick upside down, I would buy it. But the fact that it kind of seems like they all missed it and never reshot it, how does nobody notice that unless you're going to make a joke of it, that she's holding her stick upside down the entire time? Yeah, because she's using it, she's holding it like a cane instead of flat on the ground. And when she does have it like at hip level, the blade is not horizontal so that you can just put the blade down so that the blade's sitting on the ice. She's holding it like it's an axe. The The blade is pointed down to the ice. The tip of the blade, the toe of the blade is pointed down to the ice. It, it's, it looks like she's holding a sickle. No, and <laughs> even if she knows nothing about hockey... She's a talented enough actress where she should know how to handle a prop. So I think a little bit of studying would have gone a long way because she does know how to skate. Um, there is that moment where um, she tells Bombay she used to skate. So he puts on her her song and she does her ro- routine. And that's where I fell in love with her all over again. That was at the end of the first episode. It's impossible not to fall in love with her. Um, but she did skate in Gilmore Girls as well. I think that's probably what helped get her this role is that she is comfortable on skates. Yeah. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's when Luke, Luke gave her the ice rink in her front yard. It was adorable. You can enjoy your rewatches. I've, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and skip that one. Um, but we got it. Hey, we got a deadbeat dad. We get we get I wanted to say Charlie's dad. We get Evan's dad. He's back. Right. Um, the traveling musician that's in the rock band. That's why he's never around, because he's in a rock band. But it's really just a bar band. But they do take something that could have been very tropey, and they make it work, because then him and Gordon form this unexpected bond. And I wish they would have leaned into Gordon's internal conflict a little bit more, because... He is starting to take an interest in Alex at this point. Um, you know, he's he's starting to make that known uh, because of the pecan pie. Right. Um, so he's got a good thing going with her. And you can tell he's starting to come out of his shell a little bit more. And like, this is a big deal because he's pretty much tucked himself away from the world in, in the ice palace. Um, he's he's like Elsa himself, if you will. Um so now her ex shows up, he's all intimidated by him, but he's also formed enough of a relationship with Evan where he puts his personal issues aside to help Evan have this moment with his dad. Bombay saves the day again, right? It's just what you expect Gordon Bombay to do. It is a really fun scene, though, to see Evan hanging out with like both of his heroes. As cheesy as the wing-eating contest is, um, it is a fun little scene. And it's fun to see how Evan's dad gets so invested in watching Evan play and how Gordon is just kind of sitting there smirking because he more or less kidnapped the man, forced him to go to the hockey game. Um, And then it all falls apart when his father is on the phone complaining that he missed the flight because he got kidnapped. So you could tell, like, he was happy that he saw Evan play, but he really didn't want to be there, right? Right. As he is, at, at the end of the day, he's the deadbeat dad. That's episode five, and that is like the main storyline in episode five, but we also do get a big character moment that I don't want to gloss over. We dive deeper into Lauren Gibby's character. Um, 
I don't want to say that she's written off as the nerd because she is a character that certainly embraces nerd culture and they've made it work for her. And to this point, you think that that is why she joined the team because she's an outcast because she likes to wear a cape at school. And, you know, you also get that great juxtaposition with, um, Maya, Maya. Yes. Where Maya is the popular girl and they have this bond on the hockey team, but that doesn't always translate over to school because they don't want to be seen with each other. Uh, particularly because Lauren is wearing the cape, but you find out that cape is because she had scoliosis and she had a surgery and it's always just made her, you know, to cover up, um, you know, her, her injury, right. so to speak. Uh, it's just always been her safety net. And I love that they revealed that. I love that they take it one step further than, you know, I'm just into... I like what I like and I don't care what everybody else thinks of me for it. Mm -hmm. And that they really do delve into a deeper layer. So I think, you know, that was a really good choice, albeit a little bit late because this is episode five and now you're giving us like a big piece of information about a character. Um, But you could also argue the timing is fair because they needed that relationship to develop with Maya. Right. Well, that's the thing. It, it kind of seems like two steps forward and one step back because Maya used to be bullied because she had a thick New York accent when she first moved to Minnesota. And so she tried really hard to get rid of it because she was getting picked on and now she's popular. And OK, I get that. You, so, so you both were ostracized for something. But then at the same time, your friends in private I think the problem is that they don't lean into it enough with Maya. They do it a little bit later where we're going to have a girls week, a girls weekend when they go to States and then she just chases a boy around. But then there's no real resolution to that either. This is where you kind of get conflict for conflict's sake when it comes to the kids. I feel starting in the next episode, really from episode six, almost through the end of the series. You're kind of just getting grudges and arguments and bickering for the sake of we need drama because, yes. Well, I don't know. I I think um, the conflict with Maya was pretty natural because they made a TikTok and it's like, oh, this is what we do with our hockey team. But she won't post the video. She won't show it publicly. But they do sort of one up it because the trope is that the popular girl is not going to show that she's friends with someone who is considered a social outcast. But then when it's Lauren's turn and she's with her friends, she wants nothing to do with Maya. So I think that they did modernize a trope a little bit. And what I love about this relationship is they, they righted a wrong that they should have established with Connie and Julie in the first one or or in the original trilogy, right? Or not trilogy because Julie wasn't in the first one, but um, We, we get what you mean. You're right. I I would have liked to see a bond form between them or even just a competition of like, I'm the only girl here. What are you doing here now? And I mean, that would have been a little bit tropey and you certainly don't want to pit girls against each other because that is going against what they're trying to prove by by having girls in, in this boys league. Um but they never did anything with it. So I appreciate that they gave them this storyline now. And I think it, because of the characters that you're working with, uh, it was sort of a natural progression for them. Yeah, but then at the same time, Maya cares so much about how she's perceived. 
yet she was the one in the first episode that stood up in the cafeteria in front of all of her peers, in front of all of her friends, and joined the Misfit team. She's the only one you don't actually get a reason for. It, but it doesn't matter. She, she didn't care about it then, but she cares about it now. Right. But that doesn't make sense. That's why I made the point of bringing this up, because Lauren had more of a reason to join other than wanting to be accepted by a group of kids. Um, and like I said, you know, uh, Nick always wanted to play hockey, but never thought he was going to get the chance. Uh, Coob was just so introverted. Sam had all this crazy energy and needed an outlet for it. They all had a personal stake to join this team. And they put their faith in Evan because he was willing to stand up and recruit them. Maya really is the only one that you don't get a reason for. And I don't believe it's I don't fit in because I moved from out of state. If they would have leaned into, you know, if, if she was like from Florida instead of New York, where, you know, it's not that they don't have hockey here, but it's not as big of a thing. If she was using that to be accepted, like I'm going to join the popular things so I do fit in, that's all it would have taken to give her more of a reason. Yeah. And now you're starting to see that the team is having success. We play blindfolded hockey and we pass with our eyes closed because teamwork. And all <laughs> you see them do it in a game and the, and the other team just kind of stands there going, what? What are they doing? Their eyes are shut, um, which would never really happen. Uh, a four check very easily and a poke check ends all of that. You wouldn't just stand there in bewilderment. Um, and then you get what I unfortunately believe in episode six, the moment that we all waited for the moment that we clamored for, you get the worst reunion possible when you get the original Ducks back. Is it? Yes, it is. Well, okay. First of all, not the original Ducks because they've also got Ken Wu. They got whoever agreed to show up. Yeah. Um, But I don't buy, even though this was in the age before social media, I don't buy that Gordon would have lost touch with these kids. And I don't buy that they're in town for this gala. I mean, I love that that's the reason that they came back. It doesn't feel forced at all. I like that they're doing this Ducks legacy and they invited the original team back. I will, I will buy all of that, especially because it works against the don't bothers that are excluded from all of the, the hoopla. Right, right. So that's all well and good. Um, but I don't buy that none of these kids have any idea what's going on with Gordon. Or that the animosity seems like it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Not just them towards him, but him towards them. They all go out for drinks one night. We're all about to be very happy, but um, we need drama. So let's just get Gordon upset with them and they'll get upset with Gordon and then Gordon will just storm out. I disagree because these kids have always called Gordon out when he's being a jerk. They did it when he was Captain Blood. Um, you know, even in the first one, when um, the whole, you know, we made a big point of saying that the whole they don't deserve to live thing, they caught him saying the wrong thing. They have never been afraid to stand up to him. No, but at the same time, they're adults now. If they see that he's really not comfortable 
pursuing this Ducks Lifetime Achievement Award, and he's sort of complacent with not having been included, and he's just kind of wanting to move on with his life and be quiet. Like, wouldn't you respect that a little bit? Instead, they just get angry with him. To the point where Guy and, and Connie, who are who are now married with kids... Guy made a move! He made a move. Um, and she is now in the state senate. The fact that they go, we actually named our kid after that jerk. It's like... It, it, this all seems like a stretch. Everything that they do in this series is a damn stretch. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think that they married off Guy and Connie just for that line. Probably. Um, I'm glad, though, that this was not the only scene that they were in, and they do bring it full circle. I like that we see them at the gala. I like that, you know, they each get to make a speech. Well, that's once Gordon comes in. Right. They're making their speeches about what he meant to them. Um, I like that they overtake Coach T's award. That, like, that is that's a Ducks, a Ducks move. That's, that's what they would have done. I totally buy that. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, are they doing it for the nostalgia, going to a practice and, and donning the jerseys? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm I'm not going to lie. You know, I got I got goosebumps during that scene. Oh, I just got frustrated. I wanted it to be so much more than it was. And it just something felt like it was just not working. I think a lot of that comes from not having Joshua Jackson. I think I don't know if it was a scheduling conflict. I don't know if he didn't want to do it, but I feel like. Had you had Charlie's character back, this whole thing would have been so much different. The whole series. And it's, again, like as much as I love Joshua Jackson, I feel like it would have been worth it to recast just to get this character back and what it would have done for Gordon. Correct. The other thing that starts to happen here is Coach T gets really sneaky with Evan because the Don't Bothers are starting to win now. And he invites him back to a practice because he wants him to join the Ducks again. I which hate is, this whole story. Which is all just a scam. It's it's so that he can cause an eternal internal drama with the Ducks. Here's the thing, though. Evan says to his mom, this is my chance to go back to the Ducks the team that I was cut for because they made a mistake. Now, we know that there's an ulterior motive there, but from a kid's perspective, you know, I don't know that Evan's wrong because all he's doing is getting recruited by his old team. The worst thing that could happen, he goes to one practice, so what, right? But they tape it so that they can set up this whole drama with, you know, all seven of the don't bothers, which is not enough to field a team, but we're going to dis, you know, we're going to suspend our reality because it's enough to start a team in this instance because we need one. Well, we get the checkmates, so eventually they have more of a roster. Yeah, but it just <clears throat> the the grudge, the the drama that happens and the grudge that goes on over the course of really like the next two episodes, I agree with you. I don't like the storyline at all. Right, because why didn't Evan say I only went to practice. I mean, I get it. They're mad that he would even consider it, but it's not that he ever accepted the offer to go back to the team and then went to a practice because he was going to play with them. It was that he was being courted. So I don't know why you don't just say that. I will buy the fact that if he wants to take his career seriously, he's got to think about where he's going to do better. And that's, that's, 
it is a good conflict with Sophie, I guess. And I wish they would have leaned into this a little bit more because the way that they wooed her over to the don't bothers was, you know, you're a good player on a team of great players. You're not going to get as much ice time. If you come to us, you're going to be the star player. And that's why she did it. So in that regard, it doesn't make sense that Evan would have taken the bait because it's very hypocritical. But I do believe if he's serious about hockey and he really wants to get his numbers up, so to speak, and go to States. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's like, I will have a longer season with the ducks. Yeah. This whole thing is over. Yes, we're winning, but we're never going to make States. Right. And he put his own interests over the interests of the team. Um, I'll buy the conflict with the players, but I feel like it would have been more effective if there was a bigger conflict with his mom, who is trying to juggle her job and coaching this team and learning about hockey for you and who is putting so much time and effort into this for you that she's just like, you have to make your own mistake. I mean, I, I applaud them for handling it in that way where she didn't give him the answer and you know, it's good writing that the parent puts the ball in the kid's court and, you know, she spells it out. You're going to have to make your your own decision in this case, and I hope it's the right one, but I'm not going to help you. Um, but I feel like there should have been more of, like, an argument between them as opposed to, yeah, I'll support your decision no matter what. But it's good writing for Alex's character, though, because she knew when to put the coach hat away and put on the mom hat. Right, but in, at this point <clears throat> in the series, effectively, Gordon has taken over as the coach anyway. So she's not coaching anymore. I think that there was a sense of relief that she wasn't coaching anymore. And I can respect the fact that she's letting him make the best decision for him, but now she's effectively an assistant coach slash general manager slash whatever it is you want to call it of the dope bothers so I think she knows ultimately he's going to make the right decision, and that's why there's no pushback on it. I can buy the fact that there's not a ton of drama there, but I just can't get over the fact that they hold this grudge over he went to one practice. And he does say it. He goes, guys, it was one practice, and I said no. Right. He does say that to them. And they're still holding it against him. Because we need drama. We need drama amongst the Ducks. Because as we get to the next episode the drama gets turned up a little bit in ways that I think make almost no sense. Well, before we get to the next episode, because we're talking about episode seven here, one thing I did really like is that we get a good pond hockey scene. And I love that it's a callback to the first one because, and they want, they really do one up it instead of uh, practicing passing with eggs. They do it with cell phones. So you really have to trust your team. And in this day and age, especially for somebody like Coop, you you will be devastated if something happens to your cell phone. So you're going to learn real quick to have soft hands. That I think that was a better social commentary than anything else that they were doing. If yes. I'm being honest with you. Yeah. <clears throat> but moving on to the next episode, we start getting more conflict. Before we talk about Lauren Graham and Alex, though, I want to talk about this go nowhere, makes no sense, totally sick and tired of it jealousy that Nick has towards Logan? Yes, because Nick's first goal is so great. I love the way that it's shot. I love it for him. I love the moment for him as a character. But yeah, the whole misunderstood thing with Logan, you're absolutely right. 
the help, you know, the hopeless romantic that Nick is, that he couldn't win over Winnie at the snack bar because she loves Coco Chad and then Mustard Mike <laughs> or whatever the hell his name is. And then he scores the winning goal and the girls want to talk to Logan and he says Logan's a terrible player. And if he gets good, he doesn't want Logan to become a good player because he says is the minute Logan becomes a good player, I have nothing. This entire thing is just worthless to me. It's very juvenile, especially because we're going to learn like in the next episode that Nick has a thing. First, he had a thing for Winnie, but now he has a thing for MJ. Yeah. So it shouldn't have mattered that Logan has the attention on him. This episode, though, I have to say, this is where I really started coming around because even though the drama, some of the drama with the kids is kind of contrived, I got very invested in this cast and the characters at this point. See, and I had the complete adverse effect on me. Really? I'll tell you why in a minute. Let's talk about Alex and what starts to happen here. Where she's letting the winds go to her head. Uh, But I guess that's why I started gravitating towards the kids more because now she's got an ego because of everything that she managed to do with this. Really, Gordon did. But because she's at the forefront, she's getting the press interviews and, you know, a human interest story of... She's juggling work as a single mom and the success of this team. And, well, I just did this for my kid because he wanted to play hockey after he was cut. Um, That all makes sense for her. I believe why they'd want to track the story. I believe that she would, you know, have that limelight dangled in front of her and now she's nipping at it. Um, I also feel like this is where she resembles Lorelai more than ever. And she really because she's talking faster. Um so I feel like she finally found the groove of this character. Um, but because the kids are starting to turn on her because she's focused on the wrong thing. She's focused on winning, not the fun. Um, because the kids sort of band together. I think that's what won me over. Winning was fun for the ducks. Or sorry, the don't bothers. They were having a great time. When they were winning, they were having fun. And this whole thing is supposed to be about having fun. And winning was fun. And she's happy that they're winning. So naturally, let's turn on her. I understand that they, when it came to the superfoods and the two-a-days, and they were like, hey, this is kind of starting to feel like the ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, I could understand where the kids are starting to get turned off in a way, but they called her out simply because she was happy that they were winning. And they were like, well, that's not really the purpose, though. Well, Evan, for you, it's been the purpose the entire bleeping time. True. I mean, and they could have steered into that a little bit more because the setup is that Sophie's parents say, oh, well, they're doing good. You have to keep up the conditioning if you want to have a shot at States, like that's the thing, the carrot got dangled. She took the bait, but they're also still thinking like ducks parents at this point. And because she felt pressured by them, she started becoming captain blood in her own right. 
But this is what makes this team so different from the other teams. When it came to the first film, the Ducks didn't know how to play. Gordon taught them how to play. And once they knew how to play as a team, and once they started winning, what did they ultimately want to do? Beat the Hawks. In the second film, he polishes their game when you introduce the new players, and what do you ultimately want to do? Beat Beat Iceland. Iceland. Well, beat everyone, but specifically Iceland, because they're built up so much to be the big bad. Even in the third film, as much as they don't like Coach O'Ryan, what do they ultimately want to do? Beat the varsity team so that they can stay the Ducks. Right. This team does not want to win. They don't want to win. At some point in time, when does the competitive juice start to flow where you, especially for Evan and Sophie? Yes. When do you want to take your revenge on the Ducks the way that Adam wanted to take his revenge on the Hawks, the way that Team USA wanted to take revenge out on Iceland? When does anybody want to take revenge on the Ducks? They never do. They're complacent with losing even though they want to win and even though they're having fun with doing it. This is not this does not have the same heart and soul. Remember, you're watching a sports film but ultimately you're rooting for your team to win. You're not rooting for your team to get a participation trophy 2020 right. or 2022. Oh, before that, certainly. You're ultimately wanting to watch your team win because whether you want to admit it or not, there is a there is just such a moment of happiness and joy when you win. Not even just happiness and joy. It's about a sense of accomplishment. Yes. That is why you play a sport. Like, yes, there is the joy that comes from winning and the agony of defeat, but it is about the accomplishment. Yes. And this is where I started to not feel a thing for any of these characters to the point where I don't even have a written note for the rest of this series because this is what I came to terms with. At this point in time, forget the fact that these these don't bothers are nothing like the Ducks and Team USA in all of the worst ways possible. Um, Gordon has now taken a back seat because Alex wants to take over as the coach because she's getting the attention and the accolades. And it dawned on me. Because I was thinking about the problems that I had with D3 and the things that we loved about the first film and the second film. The first film was not about a hockey team. It was about Gordon Bombay. Yes. The second film was about about the evolution and the progression of Gordon Bombay. The third film fails because it's not about Gordon Bombay. It's about Charlie. And they didn't write that story very well. Right. I'll, I'll, you know... I mean, that's the whole thing we talked about, that this is what made the movie successful, is that it's character-driven stories and hockey is the vehicle. But, yeah, where you're going with this, hockey's the forefront. The series, the franchise known as the Mighty Ducks, whether it be in the first three films or whether it be Game Changers, This is what I came to notice. As soon as it's not about Gordon Bombay, this franchise fails. 
because as much as you love the D5 Ducks, as much as you love Team USA, they on their own are not enough to carry a film. We saw that in the third. They're supporting. The minute that the Mighty Ducks as a franchise is no longer about Gordon Bombay, the entire franchise crumbles because the most important thing about the Mighty Ducks is Gordon Bombay. But I think you could make the argument that this is where the shift happens because the final two episodes really are Gordon-centric. I mean, yes, a lot of it is Alex-centric too. Had Emilio Estevez decided to stay, I think they would have been able to right all of these wrongs. But now it's like, what are they going to do? Because, so in the final two episodes, um, there it states... And he, Gordon is acting as the coach, except he can't because they are still holding this NCAA uh, recruitment tape gate which Which I don't understand him. why in this peewee league, why the NCAA. Because the board is um, NCAA. And this is like a, I, I guess they're treating it as like the farm team or the farm league for it. But the NCAA is the National Collegiate Athletic Association, so none of these kids are signed to any scholarships, nor are they committed to a university. So why the NCAA has any regulation over it, it makes no sense. It doesn't, but they they wrote it in so that in some way this would still be held against him. They wrote it in why? Because. But you have Alex come to his rescue because he's got to stand in front of a, a jury, I guess, and plead his case. But he's a lawyer. Three people at a folding table is what he has to stand in front of. But he should be able to represent himself because he's a lawyer. And instead, you have Alex come in because she found the loophole. Now, I will give her this because for her character moment, she needs this because she has finally started earning Stephanie's respect. Stephanie, who, by the way, it's far too late to feel bad for her. We haven't talked about her as a character. Yes, you love to hate her, but she is so out of touch with a reality other than her own. She's just a terrible person, but her life does fall apart. She does get what's coming to her, but it's far too late to feel bad for her. Correct. So now you have to give Lauren the win where Stephanie starts to, I'm sorry, uh, give Alex the win because Stephanie has started to respect her. She finds this loophole and she saves the day with Gordon, even though he should have been able to find this loophole himself, which I've been, you know, making the argument for almost 10 episodes. So now the don't bothers play the ducks and they have to forfeit because of Sophie's injury. I actually really like what they did here because I think if they would have gone on to win, it's not a movie. It's a series. It would have been too perfect. You can't necessarily give them the happy ending because at this point they know they're going for a season two. You can't have it end on a high note. I mean, it does end on a high note in that they all stood up for their teammate and they brought it back to the original message of, you know, this should be about fun. This should be about caring for each other and not about the win. So I think they landed that plane really nicely and they brought that full circle as far as the kids go. I also think this is why to your point earlier that 
they didn't focus on Evan and Sophie wanting to have their revenge on the ducks because then you lose this storyline of Sophie's injury. At this point, she doesn't care about winning. She just cares about being able to play. I mean, yes, that does lend itself to winning because she is the best player and you you don't want her to have to sit this one out. She doesn't want to sit this one out either. But I feel like if you were focusing on the redemption aspect of it, you lose the setup for them having to forfeit. Um, so I think the forfeit was actually really smart because it just would have been too perfect if they did win over the Ducks. And now you do flip the focus back to Gordon because he's in the driver's seat as the coach and he wants his team and the name back. Do I like that he goes after Coach T and it's like, we'll settle this at dawn? I, I think, you know, it's sort of like D3 with the varsity game where, you know, they're like, let's settle this on the ice, but not in an official game. Um, I think it is kind of a retread, but at the same time, I do like that Gordon has his shot at redemption, especially because the whole reason Gordon found himself in that position was because there was a lovely scene with him and Coach T, and I really liked the bond, and I loved them leveling with each other, and then Coach T was the one who ratted him out to the board. Right, because that's just what Coach T is going to do. Right. <clears throat> um, yeah, so you get this unsanctioned game where... Basically, the Ducks are called out by the Don't Bother saying that you only won because of a forfeit. And they challenge them to the game. And if the if the Ducks win, the Don't Bothers have to dissolve and never play again. And if the Don't Bothers win, then the Ducks need to give up the Duck name to the Don't Bothers. Cheesy, yes, but... If we're going to get the Ducks name back to the players with the most heart, like this is how you do it. Because the don't bothers do represent the spirit of the Ducks. That's the whole point. To the point where they put them in original Duck jerseys. There's a couple of things that, that stood out to me right away. When I, I forgot that they were wearing original Duck jerseys. I thought that they were wearing retreads of the original duck jerseys with their own names on it. I didn't realize that they were wearing the names of the old team, one of which LaRue is wearing Kenny Wu, but Kenny Wu would not have a District 5 Ducks jersey because he didn't play for the District 5 Ducks. He didn't join on until they were Team USA and then the USA Ducks. And same thing, there is a Tyler jersey. I Here's the thing. It doesn't bother me seeing them in the old jerseys and the colors. I love it for the nostalgia. Um, but I agree with you. That is a huge continuity flub. I don't know why they just didn't do the jerseys with the kids' name. I mean, I guess because you don't have Hans and Jan anymore to make the jerseys because they're always the ones who have them ready to go. Um, you couldn't do that. And they do cover it up with... Uh, my friends left these behind. So, you know, Averman, Connie, when they were all there, they left their jerseys. Um, so that doesn't bother me, but you're right. If you joined in the Goodwill games, you shouldn't have one of these. Yeah, because you wouldn't have been on the team. And there are, I counted, there were enough District 5 Ducks 
to cover the 10 players of the don't bothers without having to use people who came in at the Goodwill Games level. I mean, I I do love that they paid homage to those characters, especially Russ Tyler, but it, it doesn't work. Th- this entire series has thrown continuity in the garbage. But the one thing that <laughs> stays consistent, and I literally had to pause the episode. You almost fell off the couch. Everybody's wearing an original Ducks jersey. Who's wearing the jersey of Porcelain Banks? Sophie on crutches who is injured and cannot play. The injured duck gets number 99. The duck with the broken wing is number (laughs) 99, Adam Banks. And it doesn't matter even when it's not Adam Banks. It's Adam Banks. I'm... Did they do it on purpose? They had to. (laughs) There's no No, chance that was by accident. If it was, then they tripped over the best joke in the series, (laughs) which actually would trend because this show is mostly unfunny. Um, But the Don't Bothers win and they are now the Mighty Ducks that still have a District 5 on the jersey. They're back to being the District 5 Mighty Ducks even though there's no districts anymore. Because you can just recruit whomever the hell you want. Um, okay, so the series is done. Gordon Bombay is gone. They've replaced Emilio Estevez with Josh Demel, And I like Josh Demel. I have nothing against him personally. The question I asked at the beginning of the show. I had sworn off watching season two. Now that we've spent the last month in Mighty Duck mode... Um, and I really, and, 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 and spoiler, I dislike Game Changers even more so on the second watch than I did on the wow, first. Wow, okay. But because I'm just, I don't know. A glutton for punishment? I'm a sucker for the Mighty Ducks. Um, I think I give it two episodes. Season two of Game Changers, I give it two episodes. I want to see if they have progressed any of these characters I want to see if Josh Demel does anything to CPR it. But I think my, my, me personally, my stance is if after two episodes, it's as bad as it is in season one, I wipe my hands of it and I walk away. Well, I do have to say, I'm glad you changed your mind because around episode eight, when I got fully invested, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm watching this. It may be without you, but I'm I can't here's the thing I also can't not support a Lauren Graham project that's my other thing like as a fan and because I really liked where her character went I was like I will stay in this for Alex um the shame of it is though once they finally got to those final two episodes where it does become Gordon's story again I feel like they would have been able to right all of the wrongs if he stayed with it now that he dropped out you have less and less ties to the original and you're going to have to write. You're going to have to really get creative with the writing in order to cover this up. And my hope is just that they make it make sense and it doesn't follow the grand tradition of we will address this problem with a one liner, but it doesn't always track. Unless you do it as well as you did it in D2. 
We want to know what you have to say about season one of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to follow us on that social media I just mentioned, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok as well, all at Monoreal Radio. Uh, you can like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice and for links to everything related to the show. It is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>